Hello and welcome to episode four of The Amp, the regular podcast from Ampere Analysis, bringing you the latest business insights, talking points and research from industry experts in the global media landscape. This episode is hosted by Ampere's consumer research lead, Manal Moda. Manal is joined by Alexios Dimitropoulos, Tony Morales and myself, Henry Beckwith. First, Alexios sheds light on how mobile and pay TV operators are reacting to the current pandemic, including the impact of the lack of live sports on sports rights. Then, Manal and myself chat about the short-form content streaming service Quibi following its recent launch. We also discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic may impact its future commissioning slate. Finally, Manal speaks to Tony Morales following Netflix's release of its quarterly financial results earlier this week. You can subscribe to The Amp on Acast or find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. To keep up to date with the latest industry analysis, stay ahead of the curve with The Amp Podcast. Hi, this is Manal Moda and welcome to this week's episode of The Amp Podcast. Today, I'm going to be joined by my colleagues Alexios Dimitropoulos, Henry Beckwith and Tony Maroulis, who will be taking us through some of the latest trends and themes in the media market. Firstly, I'll be talking to Alexios about how particular sectors are reacting to the pandemic. So let's start with mobile operators. What types of reactions are we seeing from within this industry, Alexios? Thank you, Minal. So during the past months, as more and more countries uh, have been going into lockdown, we've seen mobile operators responding in various ways. So focusing more on customer offerings and incentives. What we've seen is many different offers, including giving away free data and free calls or free SMS, waiving roaming fees and other fees like overrates, giving discounts and zero rating. Now, what I mean with uh, zero rating, it mostly applies when customers using their internet connection to access governmental sites or social applications like WhatsApp, Facebook uh, to communicate with each other. But most commonly through all of these different incentives that mobile operators uh, have given during the pandemic, what we've seen is that free data is the most common offer globally. In particular, if we focus in Europe and North America, we've studied 56 operators and we find out that 44 of them gave free data to their customers. Now, this could be in different formats, meaning that some operators will give just a few data for a month or two or unlimited data for specific the days of the month, but they've also tried to respond socially, uh, giving donations to foundations or offering free masks. And we've also seen operators investing on their infrastructure and increasing capacity to make sure that the customers will stay connected through the pandemic. So then I guess the same question for pay TV providers, do they have similar strategies or are they using different ones from the mobile operators? Yeah, so the general strategy that we've seen from pay TV operators is giving free content. And that can take different forms in terms of how pay TV providers will actually give their free content away. Most commonly, what we've seen is unscrabbling premium channels for all of the subscribers to access. And through these channels, the most similar genre is the kids' 
and children genre with many operators focusing for families staying at home, having a lot of content that is family friendly. In other cases, we've also seen operators giving away free packages and more premium tiers and maybe some vote offerings with titles. But most of these strategies also depend on what the pay TV operators were offering in the beginning to start with and if they had sports content that was cancelled or in what ways their overall strategy as a company was affected. So in order to reduce churn and in order to keep customer loyalty and provide with an image to the customers that they're helping throughout the pandemic, they start with these free content offerings in order to reduce churn overall. And then where do the sports rights that these companies hold fall into this? Like, how are the companies dealing with the lack of live sport being on at the moment? Yeah, so sports and live sports is something that pay TV operators have used as a competitive advantage in their industry. And it's arguably one of the most important content offerings that they have. So now that there is no live sport, that's one main reason of pay TV operators giving away free content. And the different ways that we've seen are either posing the subscription fees for the subscribers, like Sky did in the UK, or in Portugal, all of the premium sports packages have been suspended, including Eleven Sports and Befica TV. But also, they're trying to ensure that their subscribers have enough content to watch. So they're providing sports subscribers with other packages of entertainment and then trying to include new shows and historic games in order to fill that programming that is just not there. So I suppose just like rounding that up, do you think that sports broadcasters, be they like pay TV operators or mobile or even the OTT platforms, will start to look for reimbursements if the leagues are not able to finish the whole season or if they're forced to cancel completely? So that will definitely come down to the contracts each rights holder has with each league. But for sure, we expect, especially for the sports events that are completely cancelled, for the TV rights to be evoked. And in most cases, if the biggest part of sports season is be cancelled, again, for some reimbursement or some negotiations between the TV rights holders and the leagues uh, to be done there. We've seen in industry news the past weeks cases like Dazun or Canal Plus saying that they will stop paying for the time being any TV rights that they had. But I think uh, that comes down to the timing of the payments. In most cases, TV rights holders will pay in the beginning of the season or with a couple of installments. So in most cases, they will already be giving away the fees that they had to pay. And if the leagues are cancelled, we will expect other reimbursement or if they are in a longer contract deal, meaning that they will have the rights for the coming years, maybe they will not pay the full amount in the coming years. Thanks for that, Alexios. That was really interesting. So our next panellist is Henry Beckworth, and he has been analysing Quibi's launch catalogue. Now, Quibi is the first short-form mobile SVOD service, and it launched globally last week. So, Henry, what are your first impressions of their launch catalogue? So Quibi is finally here and the launch catalogue is here for us to dig our teeth into. So I would say the first thing to highlight with Quibi is you can sort of broadly break down its content to within three main categories. 
The first being a series. These are titles with a sort of narrative running through each episode. Some of these, in a way, feel more like sort of movies in chapters with a mixture of both scripted and unscripted content. So the second category is shows. These are episodic titles. In here, we have a number of documentary titles, titles covering actually quite a wide range of genre types, but also where the sort of format is determined in episode one and then repeated going forward. So we have shows like game shows or cooking contests, that sort of thing. And then the third category, I guess you can put this catalogue into are titles dubbed Daily Essentials. So these make up roughly about 40% of the titles at launch. They tend to be towards the shorter end of the range of these titles, sort of five to six minutes in lengths. Remember that no single episode on this service is longer than 10 minutes. Um, and these Daily Essentials have sort of a news and entertainment feel. The types of titles where you get sort of everything you need to know and why it matters type of content. So I've heard that Quibi is going to have quite frequent releases in terms of its titles. How often are they going to be dropping content? Yeah, so that is a really good point. Quibi is planning to release all of these titles at least every weekday and in many cases actually every day. However, there's been some news suggesting that they are going to look to try out a number of released schedules going forward. So, for example, with the movie content, they feel more like movie in chapters. And what they're going to do then is drop around three short, quick bites, quote unquote, every day over the course of about a week or so to then release the movie as a whole. Now, once all of these titles are up, they do, of course, stay up on the platform, allowing people to binge shows which have already been released. And how does Quibi's catalogue look in terms of the different genres that they have? Are they going down a route where they're leaning towards one genre in particular or have they got quite a diverse range? So I would say in general, looking at the launch catalogue, there is quite a diverse range of genres in there. We're not really seeing one particular genre dominating over all of the others. Now, that's not to say that there aren't notable themes and formats which do sort of help tie the catalogue together as a whole. Remember, these are Quibi originals, so all of the shows have been produced with Quibi in mind. So I would say looking at the sort of series and show side of the catalogue, two main themes do jump out. Um, the first of which being quite sort of quirky show formats, almost sort of genre blending titles, which, which will definitely at least garner some initial interest at launch. And what about their show formats? Are they trying to be innovative and different or are they sticking to what we already know and like on other platforms? Yeah, so for lots of these titles, as I said, there are sort of kind of genre blending titles. So to give some examples, we have a cooking show where blindfolded chefs are blasted in the face with food before being challenged to recreate that dish. There's a home makeover show renovating houses where famous murders have taken place. These are alongside a number of high energy game shows which do fall into this bracket. Now, these, as I said, do tend to have quite captivating synopses and will definitely, as I said, garner some initial interest. I would say alongside the sort of head turning show formats is a second commonality I did see within the launch catalogue. And that is of a star-studded list of celebrities, musicians and VIPs, which make up the lineup both as appearances and as presenters. So taking all of that into consideration, what does Quibi's 
future commissions look like? Like, how much do you think that future slate is going to be hit by the pandemic? And will they be able to keep up the frequency of release? Yeah, so that is a great question. And I think the first thing to kind of point out is that this launch catalogue does represent roughly a third of the total upcoming Quibi offering. From our commissioning data, we've tracked over 120 titles currently in production, with around 20 more titles in the early stages of development. Now, of these titles as a whole, in terms of genre, we do see a similar pattern to that of the launch catalogue. There's no doubt about that. But I would say there's definitely a few things to note with Quibi going forward. Firstly, as you mentioned there, the high frequency of the release schedule is undoubtedly going to face some previously unforeseen challenges due to the pandemic. Any content requiring in-studio collaboration is obviously going to be hindered by the current measures in place. And I would say that the types of shows that will be more immediately affected by this current pandemic are those daily Ascension titles, titles with a fast turnaround between production and release. I think secondly, it's quite important to be aware that most of this content on Quibi is actually quite unique. And I would say it is unique in terms of the production, also unique in terms of the turnstile viewing. Remember, you can watch all of these titles either on landscape or on portrait mode, and also the sort of bite-sized durations of each episode. And all this actually renders third-party acquisitions something which Quibi will be unable to fall back on if looking to bolster its offering going forward. So thank you so much for that, Henry. Staying with the theme of SVOD platforms, we move from a newly launched one to a giant. So Netflix published their results yesterday um, and my colleague Tony has been taking a look at them to see how they fared in the current environment. Tony, welcome. Let's start at the top. How did Netflix do and how many new subs have they attracted? Hi, Nav. Uh, thanks very much for having me. So generally speaking, Netflix has done very well this quarter, and especially from a subscription perspective, they had the best quarter in their history with net additions of over 15 million paid subscriptions. Now, from a revenue perspective, the growth is perhaps a bit less strong, and this is mainly for two reasons. Number one is that a significant portion of Netflix's new subscribers, they joined more or less towards the end of the quarter. So obviously, as the coronavirus has spread and stay-at-home orders were issued in a growing number of countries, this has meant that basically more paying subscribers, they only paid for one month or perhaps two months of membership rather than three, so the full year from January to March. The other factor here, of course, is that the US dollar is generally gaining value against other currencies globally. And this in turn has meant that the value of an international paid subscription for Netflix is declining. So Netflix themselves actually highlighted Brazil, where although the price of the package has remained the same, they are making 25% less per subscription simply because of the currency devaluation. Wow, that's a significant difference. And so where are the new subscribers coming from in terms of their regional locations? So the vast majority of the new paid subscriptions have generally come from the international sector. So very nearly half. So around 7 million of Netflix's new paid subscribers came from the EMEA region. So that's Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Around 3.6 came from the Asia Pacific region, which is actually twice as high as the previous best uh, for the region. And around 3 million came from Latin America. North American markets, so US and Canada, experienced just a small spike in net additions. But Netflix penetration here is already very high and the lockdown measures were introduced later than in other regions. So perhaps the effect is not quite as pronounced. 
So I think you've already touched on this a little bit, especially when you're talking about currency conversions. But have we seen any impact on the figures as a result of COVID-19? Or do you think it's a little bit too soon and actually we might see those in Q2 instead? So there already has been a large impact on Netflix's business on the back of the COVID-19 pandemic. Although from a financial perspective, this has generally been positive for Netflix. Uh, With more people stuck at home, of course, an increasing number of people are turning to Netflix and other online services to provide entertainment for themselves and their families. However, as mentioned above, obviously the US dollar gaining value over international currencies has has affected the revenues negatively, although this, this has been partially offset by the increased subscription figures. And do you think that the results have maybe surpassed market expectations and maybe the expectations that Netflix might have had for this quarter? Or do you think this is exactly what they would have expected to see? The results certainly exceeded Netflix's own forecast. I mean, in their Q4 reports, uh, they were forecasting that they would have net ads of roughly half of what they reported in Q1 2020. However, Netflix is very aware that the current global climate is very beneficial for their subscription growth and has highlighted that a likely slowdown in subscription growth is going to happen towards the latter stage of the year. Now, obviously, right now at the moment, a large part of the world, quite a lot of Europe and growing amount of the US and other parts of the world are under lockdown. So in Q2, we could also see this growth, perhaps uh, not necessarily, the subscription will be definitely be maintained. Um, not sure that the growth will be quite at the same level in the second quarter, but it's very difficult to predict it, as Netflix has mentioned on their call as well. Uh, but towards the latter stages of the year, it's likely that growth will definitely slow down and we might even see a small decline. Perfect. Thank you very much, Tony. And to all of this week's guests, That concludes the episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be bringing you another episode next week, looking at some of the latest trends and changes we've seen in the media market. So be sure to tune in then. Thank you all for listening. 